The following resource is by CBC Mokopani. For more resources like this, check out our website at www.christbaptismokopani.com. Good morning, church. Let's just pray before we, we get into God's Word. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the transformation that is taking place in our lives. We pray that you would further transform our lives as we listen to your word today. And we pray that you would help us grasp the truths about the faith so that we would be convicted by these truths and that this conviction will result in us leading holy lives. We ask this for the glory of your name. Amen. I want to ask you to please turn with me to Second Peter. We'll be looking at Second Peter chapter 1. Uh, and we'll pick up from verse 1 through 15. Second Peter 1 from verse 1. Please follow along as I read. Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received the same kind of faith as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the full knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness and through the full knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the full knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For in whom these things are not present, that one is blind, being nearsighted, having forgotten the purification from his former sins, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and choosing sure, for in doing these things you will never stumble, for in this way the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. And therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them, 
and have been strengthened in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has indicated to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. Amen. God bless the reading of his word. As Christians, we believe that we are bound for glory and a future with Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. But so many Christians doubt their salvation. So many do not have what they call assurance of faith. And they believe that Jesus is their Savior, but they wrestle with thoughts such as, do I have enough faith? Am I going to make it to heaven one day? If there is one place that Satan hits all Christians, it's in this area. Ah, you, you are not really saved. You hypocrite. Look at you, you can't even go one hour without sinning. See, he causes you to focus on your sin and you doubt your worthiness to be forgiven. Now this morning, we are going to look at three spiritual truths to help us better understand the true Christian faith. Now in this passage, Peter explains how we can be sure we have true saving faith and have everlasting joy. Let's look at the first fundamental truth, the source of true faith, which is Jesus Christ. What I want you to see in verse 1 is the key word there, received. This immediately tells us that True faith comes from somewhere. We receive it. In other words, it is given to you. So this implies that true faith doesn't come from within oneself. We know that many people believe that you are responsible for taking that first step in faith. Or that you are responsible for making that uh, decision to, to accept Christ into your life. No. That is not what the Bible teaches. It is clear that we receive the faith. And it is by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we receive it. It's important to grasp this fundamental truth. Faith is given to us. True faith is given to us by the righteousness of Christ. He is the source. And that is why Peter is praying that grace and peace be multiplied to us in the full knowledge of the source of our faith, that source being Jesus Christ. Now to, to drive the nail even deeper, Peter declares that everything pertaining to life and godliness has been granted to us through his knowledge. 
not our own knowledge about him. Everything that is necessary for, for life and godliness comes from his full knowledge. You see, you don't have true faith because you have decided one day, I want to follow Jesus. If you have true faith, it is because he gave it to you. And this is why Peter talks about the same kind of faith, meaning the true faith that comes from the one true source. Also note that verse 3 says, God called us. And because he called us, we receive faith. God is the one who took the initiative, not you or me. We receive true faith because he has called us. Peter continues to drive this truth of who the true source of true faith is even deeper into our understanding. In verse 4, he says, by these, referring to the glory and excellence of God, not by our own works, no, by him, so that we may become partakers. You see, if your faith comes from anything or anyone else besides Christ, then you will not be able to become a partaker, nor will you escape the corruption Peter is referring to. And this is what makes this truth so comforting, knowing that Christ has done it all. We can do nothing to add to his perfect and complete work. He is the source of true faith. Let's quickly look at a, another passage um, which I think summarizes this beautifully. You don't have to turn there, but it says in Hebrews 12 verse 2, fixing your eyes on Jesus, and listen to this, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the hear that Jesus the author and perfecter of faith again we see Christ is the source and because of the perfect righteousness of Christ and his perfect sacrifice for sin he became the source of our salvation and these words are profound do you understand that because the source is perfect your faith is also This goes completely against so many people's theology. And it does so in many, many ways. So many people believe that faith is something that they themselves have to cultivate. They think the, the harder they work at doing what is right, the more it will prove how much faith they have. So many people believe faith has to come from within oneself. Let's just think of Peter as an example. His faith is no better, no worse, or different than that of any other believer. Why? Because faith comes from Christ. The same kind of faith. Faith comes complete. It comes perfect. So, how can some people say, yes, you see, this thing or that thing, 
it happened or it didn't happen because you do not have enough faith. You're not getting well, you're not being healed, or you're not getting rich because you do not have enough faith. That's nonsense. That's unbiblical. And that's a lie. What they're actually saying is that the faith Christ gave you is insufficient. It's incomplete and that we have to add to it. That's not what the Bible teaches. No, Peter says here in this passage that our faith comes from Jesus Christ himself and we need to add nothing to it. Our faith is in the person of Christ, not in our own abilities, achievements or successes. And because our faith is in the person of Christ who is perfect, because our faith comes from this person, it is perfect and we lack nothing. There is nothing more we need for our faith to make us more holy or more spiritual. If you have received true faith from Christ, then that faith is complete. You do not need some kind of spiritual experience nor do you need to ask God to give you a second blessing. And you definitely don't need a book on 10 steps to increase your faith. No, true faith is complete. True faith is complete because it comes from Jesus Christ who is perfect and righteous. And again, I want to emphasize that, that faith is a gift. It is not something that springs up from within oneself. It is not something you can earn. Ephesians 2 verse 8 through 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. Now, understanding where true saving faith comes from is extremely important, especially nowadays. I mean, this world is filled with all kinds of deception. Now, with this fundamental truth fastened in our understanding, we will be able to follow as Peter explains how to establish and strengthen our walk and grow in the discernment so that we can grow even closer to the source of our faith. So thus far we have established that Jesus Christ and He alone is the source of true faith. But what does this mean for the Christian in terms of his or her daily life? Well, this question brings us to our, our second fundamental, fundamental truth. the result of true faith, which is fruitfulness. Verse 5 starts with, now for this very reason also. Peter now provides a specific application based on the first fundamental truth, that genuine Christian faith comes from Christ. And as we will see, 
What Peter, Peter is teaching us here is not what we should believe, but rather how we should believe. He shows us what true faith looks like in the day-to-day -day life of the Christian. Notice what Peter says halfway through verse 5. Applying all diligence. The word applying here doesn't simply mean to add. It means to make every effort, to do your very best. The word diligence means eagerness or zeal. So, in other words, make every effort, do your best in all eagerness, supply in your faith, moral excellence, and so forth. Now, before we continue, is Peter saying that faith alone will not save? Now, the answer is a definite no. Jesus says we are saved by faith alone. So what then is Peter saying? Peter is saying that in order to enjoy the fullness of our gift of faith, we must make every effort in all eagerness to generously supply in our faith these qualities that he lists in the following few verses. You see, the Christian life is not left to the honor of God without effort. Even though God has poured his divine power into the believer, the Christian himself is required to make every disciplined effort alongside of what God has done. And listen to what Paul wrote to the Philippians in chapter 2, verse 12. He says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, listen to this, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So God has given us faith, and all the graces necessary for, for godliness, and we supplement our faith with these qualities in all diligence, striving for personal holiness. So, which qualities do we need to supply? Number one, moral excellence. This means excellent deeds. It is the exact same word used in verse three, talking about Jesus' own glory and excellence. It talks about exceptional virtue. So God expects us to show our faith by excellent acts of imitating Christ and obeying him even in the face of hostility and difficulty. The second quality that we must supply is knowledge. Notice that Peter says that in our moral excellence, we must supply knowledge. In other words, now that you have supplemented your faith with moral excellence, go ahead and supplement that moral excellence with knowledge. This knowledge refers to the knowledge of scripture and continuing knowledge of the person of Christ. This is making an effort to understand the attributes of God. 
This is knowing the truth so that you can discern between truth and lies. The third quality, self-control. If your knowledge, in your knowledge, you uh, should supply self-control, Peter says so. The order wherein these qualities have been arranged makes absolute sense because moral excellence without knowledge that would be like doing good without knowing why you're doing good. And having knowledge but not practicing self-control shows that you do not necessarily agree with what you know. You see, without self-control, you will look just like the world. Self-control shows that you understand and agree with the knowledge of truth. If you do not control your impulses, then you do exactly what the world does, satisfy your flesh. Fourth quality, perseverance. In your self-control, supply perseverance. Now this word perseverance means to remain under and to do so no matter what situation you may find yourself in. It means to remain under pressure and to do so patiently. Have you noticed that these qualities get harder and harder? First, in your faith you supply moral excellence and in your moral excellence you supply the discipline of gaining knowledge and in knowledge you supply self-control and in self-control, well, you remain there patiently. You don't take a break. You remain. To remain means you stay in the same place. You don't move. You don't change. And I'm sure you know that this is hard. This is most likely where we slip and fall. Now, to persevere requires spiritual fitness. It means that you will constantly be resisting your sinful nature, fighting sin 24-7. This is what God expects from us. We have to learn to remain under self-control, if I can put it like that, no matter how hard it is. And wow, this really hits close to home, doesn't it? The fifth quality is godliness. This is the exact same word found in verse 3 where Peter says, His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. So what Peter is implying here is that through perseverance, through perseverance comes this is very similar to what Paul says in Romans 5, uh, or James, in, in James 1 verse 12. Paul says, And not only this, but we also boast in our affliction, knowing that affliction brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. James says, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, 
which the Lord has promised to those who love him. As Christians, we can and we should glory in times of trouble. Because times of trouble, as we've seen, produces godliness. The sixth quality is brotherly kindness. I think you all will agree that only a godly person can demonstrate true brotherly kindness. And this is basically the second commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now this is a, another sermon in and of itself, but let me just say this. Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have loved for one another. Brotherly kindness. There's one more quality, and this last quality rounds off the previous quality, and it also wraps up the whole package of qualities. It binds them all together. Final quality is love. And this is the ultimate quality, and lacking any of the previous qualities will cause this final quality to be incomplete. And this love is to love like God loves. This is literally love that is selfless, and it shows... Sorry, I just lost my bit. Um, that is selfless, and is love that comes from God. This love sees people as God sees them. There is no self-righteousness found in this love. This is the kind of love God loves us with. The love of God who sees rebellious, spiteful creatures who will do anything to get him out of their lives. And still, he sent his son to die for rebels like us. And he did it for us, not just to save us so that we would go to heaven one day. No. He did it so that we could be his children forever. Let's look at verse 8 and 9 again. For if these things are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the full knowledge of of our Lord Jesus Christ. For in whom these things are not present, that one is blind, being nearsighted, having forgotten the purification from his former sins. So what Peter says is, by living your life according to these qualities, you display true life and godliness. And also show yourself to be useful and fruitful if we possess all these qualities. Not just some of them. We can't pick and choose which ones we like most. If we possess all of them, then we will be fruitful and useful. You see, it is our saving and worshipping knowledge of Jesus Christ that causes us to bear fruit. And all saved people must and will bear fruit. All will be useful. And on the other hand, 
the opposite must then also be true. And this is exactly what Peter says in verse 9. The person who does not have this full set of qualities and is not showing any progress of growth, this person, Peter says, is either blind or nearsighted. Thus, those who profess to be Christians but do not show growth and activity in these qualities are essentially blind to spiritual truth. And basically, that person has forgotten that he or she has professed to become a Christian. Now, this doesn't mean forgetting one's actual confession, but surely that person has forgotten the true meaning and implication of that confession. It speaks of blindness, carelessness. So we can say that the lack of spiritual growth is a demonstration of spiritual death. Now in verses 10 and 11, Peter says, Now that you know which qualities to supplement your faith with, be all the more diligent to make sure about your election and calling. And this is what we all want, isn't it? Assurance of salvation. To know for sure that we are saved. And this is the ultimate fruit of faith. Assurance of salvation. Knowing for sure you are his and you share in his rewards. So faith is the evidence of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. It is a walk, it's walking with living hope. Faith is believing and then acting upon your belief. But it doesn't stop there. God does not leave us hanging. Whether we are truly saved or not isn't something that God wishes to keep us a surprise, something to be revealed somewhere in the future. No. God does not want those who are His to live in doubt. God wants you to know for sure. He wants you to have full assurance. So, do you have full assurance? Are these qualities visible in your life? Are you growing in them? So far we have seen that Jesus Christ is the only true source of true faith. Secondly, we saw that true faith must and will result in fruitfulness. Now we will briefly look at the third and final fundamental truth. The effect of true faith, which is permanency. Look with me at verses 12 through 15 again. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them, and have been strengthened in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has indicated to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. You see, Peter knows that he is going to die soon. 
So he makes it clear that his goal is to be diligent in making sure that his readers will remember all these things uh, which he wrote in verses 1 through 11. He wants to make sure that these fundamental truths of the true faith have a lasting and permanent effect on their lives. This letter is Peter's last letter. And we can basically say it's, it's his last words. And you will agree with me that last words are pretty important, aren't they? Peter shares here what he thinks are the most important truths that he could leave behind. Probably thought to himself, what is it that will help my people to be useful and to overcome obstacles and disappointments, distractions? What is it that my people need most? And this is what Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this is what he wrote down. Remember to constantly, with all diligence, supplement your faith. Let these truths have a permanent effect on your life. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Supplement your God-given faith and let it result in fruitfulness. And let this fruitfulness have a permanent effect on your life. And I want to encourage you. Let's follow Peter's example. and Let's be diligent in reminding one another about these fundamental truths. We all need them. We need them daily. No matter how many times we hear these truths, let's continue to stir up one another until our Lord and Savior returns or we depart. Let's conclude. These three spiritual truths that we looked at this morning are, as we have seen, extremely important to truly understand and grow in our Christian faith. Knowing that true faith comes from God himself should give you all the comfort you need. Your faith is already perfect, just like Christ is perfect. Knowing that true faith must result in fruitfulness, that should spur you on all the more to, as Peter said, to make every effort in all eagerness to confirm your calling and choosing. And lastly, knowing that true faith must have a permanent effect on you, that should encourage you even more to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. We need God's grace every second of every minute to give us the discipline and strength that we need in order to remain under pressure and to persevere. And also because none of these truths will be visible or genuine without God's grace. Let's bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, so rich and full, and we feel like we haven't even scratched the surface of these profound truths of the faith. May we be fruitful, may we be faithful, may we see you as the sovereign God and be comforted by that. 
may we see you as holy and be terrified by that. May we understand the reality of your holiness and our sinfulness. May we become a light shining in this dark world for your glory. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.